my journey can be almost broken down into breadcrumbs. That's how I like to describe it. I've always followed breadcrumbs. Um, driven by my two values, which are faith and curiosity. Welcome to Tearing Up My Heart, Emotional Leadership Lessons, the podcast where we explore the connection between emotions and leadership. In each episode, we will dive into a specific core emotion in an unrehearsed interview of selective high-level leaders. Join me, Jenna Heath, as we navigate the roller coaster of emotions that come with leadership and discover valuable insights that will empower you to become a more emotionally aware and impactful leader. From personal anecdotes to expert interviews, this podcast is your guide to mastering the delicate dance between the heart and the mind. Get ready to tear up old notions and pave the way for a new era of compassionate and effective leadership. Let the journey begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to Tearing Up My Heart. I am so very excited. I start every episode the same way because every time I am genuinely so excited to bring my guests onto the podcast to be able to share their stories with you and hopefully help you in your leadership journey. So today is no different. So I have one of my great friends, my soul sisters, Grace Diaz with me, who truly I I could not find a better definition of our friendship than a soul sister because I feel like we are so tethered together and have been for over a decade, um, which just proof that time is a really weird concept because I feel like we're still 22 years old. So there's that. (laughs) So thank you for being with us. I am so excited for everyone to be able to connect with you. So um, if anyone is on Instagram, they can follow you at Buenos Dias with two Z's or at Simply Complicated. I will also post them in the uh, description of the podcast. Just a little bit about your, about your very interesting career journey thus far. So you work in human resources. You're currently an HR business partner. More importantly to me, you are an author of this fabulous book, Soul care, um, which is a faith-based devotional, I would call it, but truly just kind of an insight of what it's like to walk through your early 20s as a female. So I encourage anyone that even if you don't have a faith, you should still buy the book because I think it really walks you through what it is like in your early 20s as a female and the challenges that it comes along with that. Um, But you have just had a fascinating career, and I think that you truly have worked in HR for a while, but definitely your growth as a leader in terms of traveling all over the world, quite literally, um, writing a book, working for different organizations. I think you have such a very unique and insightful perspective. So thank you for being with us. So why don't you start by just sharing a little bit about your leadership journey? How did you get to where you are? Um, Let's start with that. Yeah, thank you, Jenna, firstly, for having me here. Um, And secondly, I'm super excited to share my journey. It is unique, to your point. Um, I'm a visual person, so I'll probably share a lot of imagery in this podcast episode. But with that, my journey can be almost broken down into breadcrumbs. That's how I like to describe it. I've always followed breadcrumbs. driven by my two values, which are faith and curiosity. So I'm not a big 
10-year plan person. I know that works for people, but for me, I follow breadcrumbs. It's easier. It doesn't get me overwhelmed. And that's how I've ended up at this point in where I am in my career um, and had a very diverse background. I mean, anyone who knows me well knows I've been in human resources, um, education. I've published a book. I've, you know, I have a lot of different hats, um, but I love that. I, I love um, doing new things, embarking on new challenges, meeting new people through different experiences. So I've constantly been following those breadcrumbs from going to San Diego State, being part of um, a leadership, emerging leaders program, um, getting involved in Associated Students, which is where I met Jenna for all the podcast listeners, um, who really changed my career. Just a little shout out to Jenna because like she said, I've traveled to 30 plus countries. I've lived in three different countries outside of the U.S. I've worked in uh, two different countries and been part of uh, multiple programs outside of the U.S. But I'm saying all this because Jenna spurred that. And I don't think she knows that. Um, but it was a conversation we had when I was, you know, just on a on a bench in uh, San Diego State. And we and she encouraged me to travel abroad and that really kickstarted it. So when I mentioned breadcrumbs, it's not like I had a big goal to, you know, one day be an HR business leader and have global experiences. It wasn't like that. It was more so me being led by my faith and making decisions based off of faith and curiosity when I had to make those decisions. Um, so long story to your answer, but <laughs> there you go. I didn't know that story. Thank you for sharing that breadcrumb about you and I. That is so sweet. And, you know, I teach in one of my leadership classes that there's a really great TED Talk um, about lollipop moments. And I actually was introduced to it by a professor at San Diego State back in the day, over 10 years ago. And I still use it in my classes to this day because it talks about those exact moments. So when we are having, mm -hmm. you know, when someone does something that's just so ordinary, like encouraging someone to study abroad, like that's such a normal conversation to have in undergrad. And then it leads to all of these other moments. And in this TED talk, he talks about how essentially that no one ever like goes back and thanks those people for those lollipop moments. So I really appreciate that because I have really tried to live my life and my leadership journey in that way where I'm constantly trying to remember like what are the lollipop moments and going back and thanking people for those moments um, because so many parts of our lives are um, just so instrumental by these tiny little things that people do that they don't even know that they did because it was just like a normal Tuesday, you know? So I really appreciate that story. Um, so in a very different direction of, I feel like we're starting on gratitude, which I love, but that's a completely different emotion than what we're covering today, which is worry. Um, so worry is a state of anxiety or unease about a potential problem or outcome, often accompanied by feelings of fear, uncertainty, or apprehension. It involves dwelling on negative thoughts or potential future events, which can lead to emotional distress and mental preoccupation. I, I can't think of uh, much things that are worse than that definition. That sounds like a <laughs> horrific way to live. Um, but ironically, you know, I know I'd share this with you, but I, so I've read, I've read your book quite a few times, actually. And you have an entire section in the book called the, For the Girls Who Focused on Feelings. And I love that section mm -hmm. title so much, but specifically the very first page of that section is Calm Amidst the Chaos. And when I think of the opposite of worry... 
I think of peace or calmness, um, that's really what comes to mind. So can you share a little bit about, I guess, the opposite of worry, really? Like, how did you develop a a space of calmness in your life? Because I truly, when I think about who you were in your early 20s, there was a lot of worry and anxiety. And I think people could feel that when they were around you. Um, You're still like the greatest light and a loving human being, but you were just always really anxious about a lot of things, um, the future being one of them. And then I saw throughout periods of years where you really developed this this sense of peace and calmness and joy. Um, So what did that look like for you? Yeah, it it really is a journey of growth um, that plays a big part of it. But I think the real kind of lollipop or come to Jesus moment, you know, for lack of better, better terms was when I realized I actually had control over the worry. Um, You know, I I recently came across a quote that said, if you want to worry, have at it, but just do so knowing that it's a choice that you're making. Um, And I've currently gotten more into stoic philosophy, stoic philosophy. I'm reading a book by Ryan Holiday right now, and one of the chapters, it touches on, you know, um, almost like Zen philosophy, you're on a mountain, you know, things are stable, they're peaceful, serene, but their philosophy is actually the antithesis of that. It's when you're kind of in the middle of Grand Central Terminal Station, how do you maintain that calm and serenity? And it comes back to the fact of the matter, which is, you know, you have control over your judgments and perceptions. So when I realized that, you know, worry is under our control and there are different ways that we can combat worry when it happens, because let's face it, it's not always going to be 70 degrees and sunny outside, Um, maybe in California, but not in real life. So um, when you come down to realize that, okay, worry is going to happen. I mean, it says, you know, in the Bible, like, Troubles will come there, you know, it's bound to happen in this world, but it's how do you manage them effectively for you in that moment? Um, So I think that was what unlocked it for me and how I've come to this place of knowing my triggers, being more self-aware, which is, you know, a big thing within leadership itself um, and a whole different kind of um, podcast, which we won't go into that episode today. But um, but realizing, you know, you have control over it, that really changed the game for me um, and and was really helpful on my own journey. Yeah, I think a lot of people give their power away when it comes to worry. And I really imagine as you're talking about this to me, I'm like, that's what taking your power back is recognizing that you do have some sense of control in this situation. And I've talked about this on previous episodes that, you know, most people struggle with leadership because it is so much unknown. And really there's only two consistent things in leadership, which is like the unknown and change. Two things that people are deeply uncomfortable with, myself included. Um, And I really think that you have to be willing to lean into this sense of like, you are really not going to be able to control a whole heck of a lot, but the things you can control, your actions and your attitudes are powerful. And I feel like that's what you just described is that when you're in that sense of worry, that is a choice. That is an action. Like it is an action to be like, oh, I'm going to be anxious about this and worried about this. And obviously we're not going to get into the mental health side of anxiety and um, the diagnosable disease that that is, but truly choosing to have worry or anxiety about something is a choice. So I was hoping you could expand on this because I think 
worry really shows up in different ways in people's lives and it manifests differently, you know, and I know that not mm-hmm. everyone knows this about me, but I, I know you do is that, you know, when I was about to finish college, I was about to graduate. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune illness that attacks your GI tract, And it primarily is due to stress, worry, and anxiety. And I think during that period of life, I, it was very hard for me to understand because from the outside looking in, I don't think people would say I was stressed. I was busy, but I don't think people would say I was stressed. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older and progressed in my leadership journey, I've realized worry shows up very differently and it manifests differently for people. For me, it was in physical manifestation of Crohn's disease, but for other people, it could be mental health challenges, depression, weight gain. It really can manifest in a lot of ways. So how did you see that show up in your life and what did you do to combat that? Yeah, for me in particular, it was definitely within my um, my mental space. So my thoughts, very worry-driven, um, driven by fears. And for me, that was especially challenging because what I why I'm so passionate about this topic is because <clears throat> worry is debilitating. It paralyzes you. We've all been there in the space where we can't, sometimes you need to take the day off because you are feeling just that pressure of anxiety and that holds you back. And as a leader and as someone that I'm constantly, I feel like my mission is to drive people forward to make sure that they're making their choices and decisions from a beautiful state of mind. If anyone is familiar with Tony Robbins, he talks a lot about, you know, life working for you um, and, you know, making those decisions from a beautiful state of mind. So I'm, I'm completely, you know, I'm, I want to really make sure that folks are making those, um, you know, staying out of that layer of being paralyzed with fear. Um, and so how it manifests itself with me and how it's held me back in certain areas, um, you know, when, when not handled correctly or dealt with, um, in a healthy way is, you know, it can really cause fear, um, within my own, you know, head space. And, um, so I've, had to work a lot and do a lot of work, which takes time and, you know, still having compassion and grace for myself. It's not always, I'm not always going to get it right every, every time, but, um, in, in training my, um, my thoughts in, you know, making sure that I am making conscious, you know, um, I have a lot of different ways to, to, to kind of combat, challenge my thoughts, um, reframe things, know when, you know, you, you can feel the worry. Sometimes I get it a lot in my stomach area, you know, those, those physical manifestations that you, um, mentioned. So it, it takes, it takes time, I think, to get to know yourself a little bit and you have to, you know, have some self-compassion, um, for yourself. But for me, that has been a big thing with, um, with figuring out, you know, the, the right ways to, to combat those, those thoughts. And I can, you know, share some, share some tips and tools that I have in my, in my toolkit, if, if you'd like as well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I would love for you to expand on that. And I was just thinking of the irony or, um, or how perfect this is rather that, you know, your name is grace and how I feel like you had to learn to give yourself grace. The irony of that statement is kind of funny to me. Um, but I think that so many leaders struggle with this is the idea of giving ourselves grace to, you know, understand that we're going to have challenges as leaders and as people, we're going to have worries, we're going to have anxieties. Like that is part of being an adult on planet earth. It's, I don't think it's anyone's favorite part, but it is certainly a part of it. Um, so yeah, can you 
share a little bit about some of the tri- the tricks you use and and really how you started to teach your mind how to behave? Because I think back to your original comment, I also think that's a choice. I think a lot of times we let our minds run rampant and we think we have no control in that situation when in reality, like we, we teach other people how to treat us. We also teach ourselves how to treat us and we don't always teach ourselves the right thing. Yeah, no, you are so, you are so right in that. And if there's one thing, you know, that I hope will stand out in this podcast, it is that we do have choice over what we choose to dwell on and our thoughts. And, um, one specific one that for me, I mean, I'll lay out a a buffet and the listeners can kind of pick and choose what they'd like to take. But one that has, um, you know, worked for me is definitely the four S's. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the four S's to kind of challenge your thoughts or get curious about them. Um, one is um, silence, one is softness, the other one is seriousness, and then the other one is silly. So say, for instance, if you're like, you have, you know, a thought come up out of nowhere and you're just like, whoa, this is not serving me. Um, you can be like, you know, not today. You can choose to respond in like a, you know, a serious way. Like not today, this isn't happening. I got to, you know, make it to work. Or you can do like very, you know, compassionate. I'm with you. I feel you, you know, but you know, we're going to get through this. Or you can do like very, you know, silly, like, you know, this is, you're funny. Like you tried, you tried at it again, not happening today. Like, you know, just make it. And it just kind of like alleviates that. Um, or, you know, thinking about how you would respond to a friend. Um, another powerful one, which is, I, you know, I, I really encourage listeners to dig more into if they'd like to take it a step further, but it's the work by Byron Katie. It's four simple, you know, questions you can ask yourself, like, is it true? How do I know it's true? You know, is this serving me? And then, you know, how do I, how would I react if, if, I believe that this thought were true. So again, um, very like simple ones that you can also like when, you know, sometimes we don't really have all the time in the world to just like go and like, like challenge. So simple, more practical ones that I've used are even like just breaking down the cycle, like putting on some scented lotion just to smell it really quickly, going back to those like five senses. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I just very simple um, ways? Cause I think we can all, we've all been there where it's like in the middle of work, you know, things are happening. We don't really have time to go take a 30 minute walk outside, even no matter how much we'd love to, but um, simple ones. And I think also to another thing is realizing um, or is also preparing yourself in advance Having a, a, you know, a toolkit, a little list of frameworks that work for you, because there's a plethora of, you know, options that we can choose from, but finding ones that work for yourself and then having them to just come back to time again. And what you mentioned, have grace and compassion for yourself because these things take time and we're all human. We're not always going to get it right, but that's what it's about. It's about, you know, growing and, um, and trying again. Yeah, I love those tools. And it's so funny, too, because I think sometimes people naturally do some of these things, but don't recognize what they're doing. And so it's 
kind of less powerful because they don't know it's like grounded in truth and grounded in research and a, and a proven factual response to an emotion. Right. So I always think about when I was in college, I worked, you know, through college to pay for everything by bartending and serving tables and things like that. And it's actually how I met my husband pro tip serve somewhere and meet your future spouse. <laughs> um, but I would always, almost every single shift, I would get so stressed and so overwhelmed and so like overburdened with worry that I would run into our walk-in freezer at the restaurant and I would just stand there. And if anyone's ever worked at a restaurant, you know, those things are kept at like 20 degrees. It's literally quite literally below freezing. And I would just stand there for like three, four, five minutes, really however long I could get myself to suffer. Um, and it would calm my nervous system oh. now. And it's so funny because now here I am like 15 years later and you know my husband and I bought a cold plunge like we love cold plunging and so many people are like you are psychotic that water is so cold and you just sit there and I'm like I've trained myself that that is how I regulate my emotions and it really helps me. And so, but it, you know, 15 years ago, I had no idea that's what I was doing when I was running to the freezer at a restaurant. I was just like, I need to calm down and not yell at this customer. Now I'm like, wow, this is an emotional response to the situation and a way to regulate myself. Like how awesome is that? Um, so I love those tools and hopefully some of those things are actionable items for people. And I've found that that's something that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from this podcast is people are like, you know, I love the stories, but I love the like actionable thoughts of like, you can do this to help with this. And so I think those were awesome tools for that. So I, I want to go an interesting direction with this, and I hope you're comfortable with this. Just reminder to our listeners, this is an unrehearsed podcast, so no one has any idea what I'm going to say before I say it, sometimes not even me. Um, but I really wanted you to kind of talk about the cultural and societal expectations of worry. Um, you know, I'm married to someone who identifies as Mexican slash Peruvian, and it comes from a very different culture than me, and I have learned a lot <laughs> about cultural intelligence being married to someone from a different culture. Um, but I also think I learned a lot of that from having friends like you who come from a different background. And um, you've probably learned so much of this traveling all over the world. And so I was hoping you could share just a little bit about how you feel like culture or, or societal expectations influence how individuals perceive or experience worry in their own life. Yeah, I love that you asked this question because that's definitely a lesson that I took away from me from the last uh, season that I had living abroad, which just kind of closed a, a few weeks ago um, <clears throat> as I returned to the U.S. And one of the things that I realized, um, you know, sometimes I think when you take yourself out of an environment, you get a lot of perspective. Um, so by kind of taking myself out of the the U.S. hustle, twenty, you know, twenty-five-eight <laughs> working culture. Um, you realize how much of it is ingrained in just your environment and the society that you live in. Um, while I was abroad and kind of had some some space from from the U.S. and and you know this culture of, you know worry and, and, you know, work, working, you know, and, and burnout. And, um, you know, within HR, we hear a lot of, you know, for people to take off like a, a month is something very novel versus like when you go to, you know, some European countries, it's like, you don't take off, you know, during the summer, like what? Um, so, uh, that was definitely something I learned just by having conversations and by living in a different, um, culture where the relationship between work and life and that balance is a lot more, 
um, union. I don't know the, the right word for it, but it's a lot more healthy, I guess, um, is, would be kind of how I would explain it. Um, and I think to, to kind of go dig more into your question, I think it, it also, it's just kind of taking yourself out of, out of the environment, um, from time to time and realizing, you know, what might be you versus like what, you know, the culture or, you know, the, the, what you've been, what you've grown up exposed to, um, that can, that can really change. Um, and so maybe taking, taking just a, a step, um, and, and reevaluating. And I think that happened a lot with, um, you know, during COVID and during the pandemic was people realized, you know, that, that, realized a lot of, a, a lot. Um, but in that, re in relation to the, the question, um, in terms of realizing kind of the, what really matters and, and that, and that balance and not making work your entire life, but, um, you know, making work a, a part of your, a part of it. Um, if that helps answer your question at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you, you bring up so many valid points is that, I think part of it is how we're raised. And I think, you know, it, especially, well, actually your book talks about this, but you know, when you're growing up in those early 20 phases, I think part of it is learning, you know, how we were raised doesn't, it doesn't mean we, it was wrong. It doesn't mean our parents didn't try their absolute best or whoever was involved in raising us. Um, you know, people do the best they can with what's available to them always. Well, most of the time. <laughs> um, but I think that as you navigate into those early years of, being an adult and potentially being a leader, you learn a lot about how maybe you want to perceive the world. And I think worry is one of those areas is that it's very easy that when we're raised in a home where maybe you have a worry wart as a mom or an overly involved dad who is just like kind of on top of everything, you know, whatever, neither of those were my experiences, but I've heard from other people <laughs> that that can be the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we experience that. And then as we get older, we're like, oh, I, I don't love those tendencies. Like, it's not that my parents mm -hmm. are bad people. That's just, I don't love those tendencies and I don't want to live that way. And I think that for a lot mm -hmm. of people, it is difficult for them to separate the idea of, um, potentially like honoring their family and honoring their culture to making decisions about how they want to behave in certain ways. And so I see this pop up a lot when it comes to worry and stress and anxiety, because some people were just raised in homes where that's common. And that's really, you know, and maybe parents or guardians are oversharing with challenges that they have and um, in an effort to be transparent and build relationships, but don't necessarily see how that's passing on a pretty dramatic generational curse, I would say. Um, so what are your thoughts mm -hmm. about that when it comes to, I guess, the generational curse side of worry? I, I love that you bring that up. And it reminds me of one pivotal decision that I had to make in my journey, um, which is I love quotes, by the way, I think you're, you're going to realize that, but one quote that I love, it says, you know, what got you here won't always get you to where you want to go. And I think I, when I came to that realization in my journey that maybe worry at some point in my life in a way did, did help. I mean, it can, it can really, um, you know, spear you if managed correctly, it can really drive you. Um, but when, once it, you know, stop serving you, um, you always have the opportunity to change. I mean, we are adaptable. We are resilient people. We always can be empowered to do that. And I think once, you know, um, 
I realized that, you know, I, I am my own person. I am not, you know, my, my family. I am not my environment. I am my own person. Um, that helped me a lot in terms of reevaluating almost like an archaeologist. That's how I like to show up in a lot of places that I go to. It's like, oh, that's interesting. You're observing things without judgment. And once you kind of take a step back and, and are able to look at life through that lens and just getting a little bit more curious, um, you can start realizing like, oh, you know, oh, wow, like, that is not me, you know, like, or maybe that is like me and my, me and my mom's relationship. I'm like, oh, I definitely get that from you. Um, but, but yeah, like we can always, you know, we can choose to, to, um, to rewire us. And again, it's having, it's not, it's in a spirit of love. Um, you know, I am choosing something else for my own life because it's not serving me. So, um, in terms of generational curses, I do have a chapter on on that particular topic, and because that's been a big thing for me, especially growing up as you know a you know um, a Mexican American woman, you know with um, you know so I there were a lot of things, and sometimes you just don't even realize it that you know you have certain narratives, but we really you know become who we are. Our communication styles are really cultivated. A lot of that during childhood. And so I think it, it does require a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work, um, to, to kind of reevaluate that. But in a way, I think it's very empowering to, to just realize that you are your own person and you get to make the decisions for yourself. And there's always a, uh, you know, a different story that you can start writing at any point in your life. I love that idea of writing your own story because I think that that, again, it just takes so much of the power back into our own hands to say like, okay, like I am in control of my own life. And I feel like that is really where I see people get stuck oftentimes and worry. And I think especially kind of looking at the leadership lens of worry, I suppose, you know, I, I've said this pretty much every podcast episode, and I think it's so true, is that leadership is difficult. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, I think far too many people are hoisted into leadership roles that are not ready for them, that don't want them, um, or, you know, just really aren't adequately prepared. But I often see it manifest in worry, is that leaders are faced with challenging situations. And instead of you know, maybe leaning into that, asking curious questions, um, trying to find mentors that can help them, um, whether that's a leadership coach or a therapist, you know, I have both, I think they both bring value. Um, but I think that I often see this manifest in worry is that because so many leaders are not self-aware of what is happening in their own body, their stress and anxiety automatically pops up as worry. So I'm curious, especially mm -hmm. from kind of like the HR lens of what you do for work, if you could talk a little bit about when leaders are faced with situations like that and it's manifesting as worry, what should they do? Like what is the first thing they should do when faced with a challenge and they're so stressed and so worried and so full of anxiety, what is a better alternative? First and foremost, don't react. <laughs> Sit with it for a second, <laughs> you know. It can be really easy to just react in the moment, but it would be to take a pause, um, you know, take a breath when faced with that. Um, you know, we're all going to be hit with that, with that worry at some point, but that would be my, my number one thing. 
um, is to, you know, take that moment that a five, five second breather can make so much of a difference. <laughs> and I'm sure we can all attest to that. Just taking that five seconds. Um, another thing in relation to the self-awareness is just realizing and being vulnerable. Um, you know, I think that's a huge thing. Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and leadership, um, and the relationship with the two, but it would be even acknowledging sometimes, you know, seeking support from a teammate or even acknowledging if it happens on a meeting or, you know, in a conversation. It's like there's a, a conscious leadership tool um, called above and below the line. And, you know, when lead and acknowledge and realizing when you're above the line, you know, you're you're making choices from a growth mindset, you're open, you're collaborative. But when you're sometimes below the line and it happens, we're all going to be above and below the line at some point during our careers. But when you are below the line and feeling that worry, feeling that fear, um, and, you know, making decisions from more of a closed, paralyzed, fearful, um, basis, it can be important to just acknowledge that, um, to, to have even those around you that you're, you know, surrounded with in a way, just say, Hey, I'm like a little below the line right now. You don't need to go into all the specific details, but that can really be a game changer. And I know it does require a level of vulnerability, but that is leadership. It's being vulnerable. It's being willing to say, I don't have the answers. I'm not at a hundred percent right now. You know, I, it's, it's having that sense of, um, you know, self-awareness to realize like, you know, we all have our the days when we're we're showing up to work and we're at our A game, but I'm not there, so I'm going to pass the baton to you today or, you know, help me through this or help me to, you know, brainstorm with this. It's leadership cannot be done alone. Um, you know, we need it we need a tribe. That's why we have a team. That's why, you know, we're surrounded by others. Um, and I think that that's a that's a big approach sometimes is just leaning into that vulnerability. Um, and trying it. I know it's not always easy, but that would be my, my advice is just to kind of realize once you become self-aware, just kind of being okay with saying like, you know, I am feeling it. Like, don't, don't try to push it, shove it in a, shove it away. Just really let it kind of flow through you. And the beautiful thing is that fear is a feeling, anxiety, you know, it flows through you. Eventually it will pass. Rumi, um, the Sufi poet, he has a beautiful poem called The Guest House. And he says, you know, when these feelings come, invite them in, welcome them in, then show them out the door. Um, you know, moving your body in a loving way, let those feelings flow through you. It'll come and go and, you know, you'll be back at it. But I think it, again, it's just acknowledging it, being, um, you know, aware and, um, and maybe being a little bit, a little bit vulnerable, dare I say it in the workplace. <laughs> It's, it's so true, though. I mean, Dare to Lead, great book by Brene Brown, all about empathy and leadership. And I think I truly I give that actually to a lot of my team members as gifts, because it was a book that totally changed my perspective when it comes to leadership. I feel like I was very much so raised in an industry as a leader that is very um, closed off and very like you are meant to look perfect and you're meant to behave a certain way and learning that like leadership actually is meant to be a vulnerable lived experience with other people in community was a total game changer for me and really changed how I behave around other people, how I lead other people. Um, and like you said, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I have certainly had some wild experiences at work where I know I didn't show up perfectly, but I'm always in progression and I'm always trying to be better. And I think that is how leaders show up, is always trying to be better and working forwards um, 
towards the best version of themselves. So I, I really appreciate that concept. So I wanted to talk to you about something that I think you'll have an interesting perspective of because you are not really like a traditional millennial when it comes to technology and social media. And, you know, I wouldn't say those are like your high interest areas, but we do see in the research that technology and worry are very closely correlated. Um, so I'm curious your perspective on how you believe technology in the modern digital age contributes or potentially alleviates worry. What are your thoughts around that hot button topic? Ooh, I have to say, I think the jury's still out on that one. But <laughs> in in my most recent opinion, I think in in my perspective, <clears throat> I feel like boundaries are key when it comes to technology and using it as a weapon to drive you forward or to pull you back. Um, right now, I'll be very honest, you know, and vulnerable. I am currently on a social media cleanse just because sometimes you got to do what you have to do. And um, if you don't find that something's serving you, the beautiful, I feel like that's the theme of this podcast. It's you have the choice and the power. <laughs> you have the choice to, you know, set that boundary for yourself. And um, for me, I think it can be very powerful. Um, you know, I use I use technology, ChatGBT. You know, all all the things um, in the workplace. It can be very powerful and and helpful. But um, you know, if you do find you know yourself, you know that it's not serving you. Um, you know, I think that it can definitely um, have those correlations correlations with worry. And the beautiful thing is that you know there the the way that technology has evolved. I get alerts sometimes, like if I'm hitting a certain I got an alert the other day that I was like using too much audio, you know, it can be helpful. So it's the, the technology is looking out for us. Um, but I will say, I think that, you know, it, it definitely can be correlated. Um, that goes without saying um, to, to worry and, and fear. And, and, you know, you just see so much on there. There's so much happening in the world. I mean, it's, if you're not worried at some point throughout the week, I am actually concerned because it's there's just a lot happening in the world right now. So worry, it's going to happen. It's going to be there. It's how do you, you know, stand up against it? How do you, how do you sort through and navigate through it? Um, so I definitely, um, yeah, I can see how the two would be correlated. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate that thought that, you know, if, if you're living in the modern world today and you don't experience worry in some way, shape or form, I don't think you're human, to be honest with you, or you're living under a rock. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, I think you brought up a really important point of boundaries. And I think that I, I've recognized a theme with some of my other podcast guests is that people like to institute boundaries with other people, which are certainly very powerful. I am a huge huge proponent of boundaries when it comes to toxic people, toxic environments, um, all of that, 100%. But I also think that people struggle to understand that you can set boundaries with yourself. Um, you know, like, in, I mean, right, iPhone, great example. You know, you can set timers of how long you can be on social media. You can, you know, set timers for apps, things like that. Like, that's a really easy way to envision setting a boundary for yourself. 
But something that I have had to learn throughout my journey is setting boundaries with myself mentally. So, you know, like for example, my husband and I have a rule that for one minute every day after work, we're allowed to complain about work um, because that's natural. I mean, like you could have the best job in the world and you're still going to have some complaints. Like again, human beings on planet earth. But the boundary we decided to set with ourselves was like, we both have one minute because otherwise we totally spiral out of control. And all of a sudden it's two hours and all we've done is complain about the other eight hours before that. And I'm like, that's not healthy. I mean, some people would like to say that, you know, a certain level of venting is healthy. Um, I think if you're venting two hours a day about your job, you either don't have the right job or you need a better therapist. I'm not sure which, um, cause that's, that's a lot, that's a lot. And so I'm curious, yeah. what do you think are some maybe mental, physical, or emotional boundaries we can set within ourselves so that we can, one, start to recognize when those emotions are piling up on us and do something about it, but also, two, that we actually start to build the habit of setting boundaries with ourselves? I love that. And before I answer that question, I do want to marry it back to your earlier question about how, you know, this might play into culture and, um, and, you know, being, because I think especially being, you know, a Mexican woman or even being a woman, you know, um, we can take on a lot. I think we tend to really find, take responsibility for a lot of other people's emotions and feelings and thoughts. And, you know, we can want to be that person. We're just wired this way, or maybe it's just me, but, um, I definitely find that, you know, that is a boundaries are key in that you, you need them because in order, I think we've all heard it in order to pour out to others, you need to yourself have, you know, your cup filled. And we always hear that, you know, the strongest leaders have the biggest boundaries and it's not, you know, I know it's a, it's a taboo word and it can feel very, you know, like hard and, and stone cold, but it's not that it's really protecting, you know, protecting yourself. So that way you can be your best and show up your best in this world. So I did want to kind of just, um, call that out. Cause I think there's a, there's a different level of, um, how it ties into being, you know, especially a woman or, you know, coming from a different culture where, you know, you're supposed to be that archetype of, you know, being the rock, being there for others and, and taking on, you know, that, that responsibility. And I would really, you know, um, encourage those who might be listening that, you know, to live a little bit more unapologetically and to, you know, be, um, be a little more okay with, with saying no, um, you know, and, and, um, yeah, so I just want to, I felt it on my heart to say that. Um, but going back to your question about how to, um, kind of establish those, those boundaries, um, and, and know kind of where your, when, when to establish those boundaries would be, for me, I think it's again, over time, knowing your triggers, um, knowing, you know, when, when you get those impulses. So I think we've mentioned, you know, before, sometimes it's bodily emotions. Um, for me, I know there are certain hours of the day where I am just, you know, tend to not be as on it, so to speak. I don't have my energy, my normal energy levels. Like if you text me after 8 PM, I'm, 
not going to be, you know, very, very responsive. I'm like getting ready for bed. Um, so I think, you know, just knowing yourself again, coming over, um, going over time, um, uh, and, and learning yourself, but that would be, that would be two of my, two of my responses to that answer. Yeah. I I think those are really powerful and helpful tools. And, um, something that I thought about too, in regards to setting kind of like my own boundaries and leadership is, and again, I'm not perfect at this because I know there are some people on my team that listen to this podcast and they're going to be like, you do that like once a month. Um, so progression, always <laughs> progression. Um, but one of the things that I tried to do a couple years ago was I found a couple really close people in my workplace that I could kind of text on a whim and be like, Hey, I need a walk. And this was a way I actually set like a mental boundary for myself is that, you know, there are just those moments in your leadership and in your career journey where you just feel overwhelmed, inundated, worried, stressed. And instead of allowing myself just to push through those moments, I decided to give myself space to um, feel those emotions with safe people that I knew would help validate those emotions and help me work through them. And instead of being like, oh, just keep going, keep going, keep going, right? Because I think we do live in this hustle culture in America that um, as I, I identify as like a highly, highly high achieving person that, you know, if it was up to me, I probably would work like 20 hours a day. Um, maybe not like on a full, like nine to five situation, but like on passion projects and things that I love to do and things that I think add value to the world. And just because I, I love achieving, it's definitely part of my DNA, I would say. And I think there's a good chunk of society who has made that villainized is that, you know, high achievers and um, wanting to be successful is a bad thing. When in reality, I don't think that's the case at all. I think hustle culture where you feel like you are constantly trying to achieve the next best thing. Yeah, I don't think that's super healthy. And so that is one of the things that I was able to implement that actually was quite a game changer for me. And, you know, I don't do it every day. I don't even do it once a week. But in those moments where I feel really challenged by worry and stress and anxiety, I like text those people and I'm like, I need a walk. Even if it's 15 minutes, it makes such a big difference because then I can kind of come back and be like, okay, I set that mental boundary for myself. I did the thing to take care of myself and now I'm ready to work and I'm ready to be productive. And I think that that has made such a big difference in my leadership journey because I just wasn't giving myself space to feel those emotions. And then, like you said earlier, that was really um, resulting in the need for way more therapy than I already needed (laughs) and um, burnout, so much burnout. And I think that, you know, I really had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself of being like, is, is my career the problem? Is my leadership journey the problem? Or am I the problem? <laughs> and I think if you don't have like really successful boundaries in place with yourself, um, oftentimes it isn't the people around you. It isn't your workplace. Like it's a you problem. And I think that's a really, really hard thing to say to yourself. Oh, no, I was going to say, I want to just add on that thought. And I love that you mentioned that because I think it also, you may have touched on this in in an earlier podcast, but it's those rituals, um, you know, having those, those concrete rituals can really make all the difference. You know, for me, it's waking up, it's journaling, it's doing, you know, devotionals in the morning, it's, it's a different grace when I don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's having the those hard boundaries, you know, you're cutting, you're stopping work at a certain hour. I just recently started going to um, a WeWork because I realized, you know, working from home is not serving me. And so it's, again, to your point, 
sometimes it's really easy to point the finger and not look at the three fingers pointing back at you, but it can very much well be a you problem. Most of the time it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that is, that is such a hard thing to admit to ourselves is that we are the problem. You know, Taylor Swift would love this episode right now. Um, But it's so (laughs) true is that it is significantly easier to blame someone else or an organization or a culture when in reality, um, you know, I often, I really often actually stop myself and I'm like, okay, what is, is my side of the street clean? Right. Or did I really screw up? Did I do something wrong? Did I behave in a way that is not authentic to the leader that I am trying to be? And I have learned to take those pauses very frequently because I am an imperfect person and I don't do things perfectly all the time or even well all the time. Um, but that has helped me a lot is to take those moments and be like, okay, wait, is, is this about all this other stuff or is this about me? And is this an opportunity for me to potentially lean into my leadership journey and say like, hey, I'm going to take some ownership over an experience, a problem, something that occurred and be like, you know what? I, I think this was my bad. I think this was my bad and I take ownership of that. And that actually, to your point at the very beginning of the podcast, has actually alleviated a lot of worry for me because it's allowed me to realize that more often than not, I am actually in control of my sense of worry. Because the second that I take responsibility for some of those things, I'm like, oh, wow, that also means I have the ability to fix this and I have the ability to change. And that's really powerful. So I would love for us to wrap up with, in my opinion, one of the most difficult emotions, which is fear. And I know that you've listened to the first few episodes of the podcast, and so this question shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Um, But I... I have found this question to be fascinating because everyone's answer is so different. Um, So the question, of course, is if you had no fear, no anxiety, nothing like that in your mind, in your heart, in your body, in your soul, what would you be doing with your life? You know, it's funny. I knew you were going to ask this question, but it doesn't make it easier to respond to. Um, You know, I, again, in the beginning of the podcast, I said I'm a visual person. Um, I would see myself on a flight somewhere across the pond um, doing some sort of consulting work for cross-cultural communication and leadership. That is really where my heart's desire is. And um, that, that would be my answer. I love that. That's a beautiful answer and totally goes in alignment with like who you are as a human. I think that, you know, I, I'm waiting for the moment for me to ask someone that question and then them for to flip it on me and be like, what would you do if you had no fear? And I'm like, I, I literally said this in an earlier podcast episode and I'm like, I think everything I think everything because I think so many, like I would love to say I'm one of those people that like I have no fear. And in reality, I I don't think I struggle with fear as much as some other folks, but I do definitely hold myself back in areas that like, good Lord, it took me like two years to launch this podcast because I was like, oh, I don't have enough time or, you know, no one really needs this. Like there's not a need. No one will listen. And granted, like, I think that people would be like, oh, those aren't rooted in fear. And I'm like, those are most definitely rooted in fear (laughs) Um, in some way, shape or form. So I appreciate your answer there because I like, when I think about you, I totally envision this, like, like, honestly, like a DEI leader, like someone that can really speak to diversity, equity, and inclusion, how that affects leadership, how like the cross-cultural components interact with those things. Um, I totally see a future for you in that space. So I will be your number one cheerleader all the way. 
Thank you. And me cheerleading you on, I want to highlight the fact that even though regardless that you had the fear, you still did it. And that's the difference. It's because it's when fear doesn't paralyze you or stop you, you know, we're always going to have some sort of fear because that means we're challenging ourselves. Like fear can be really a good thing because it really shows you like, oh, wow, I'm doing something that's out of my comfort zone. This is good. But the fact that you are here doing it, that's everything. Well, thank you for saying that. That is very kind. And um, I, I said this to someone recently, but I think that, you know, my goal in this season of my life is just, I just want to be an example to other people that you can do the things that you want to do. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. Like if you want to do something, you can you are the only person holding you back. Um, and that has certainly been like the mantra of my life the last few years is like, I am the only person holding me back, which again, it, it actually is a really relieving feeling to know that I have more power in the situation than I think I ever realized. Mm, I love that. It's like you, we carry energy and I think sometimes we forget it. Um, but sometimes you will change someone's life and you, uh, to your point earlier, you just don't know it, you know, by something that you did, a move that you made that, you know, being in a room, you know, as a, as a woman or being in a room as, you know, a Mexican American or a different race and just being that example for someone to be like, Oh, I can do that too. You know, sometimes we just don't know who we're there to encourage. So, um, just remembering that is, is something to carry with us. Absolutely. And what a perfect way for us to end. So thank you again for being with us. I am so excited to hear folks feedback on this podcast because you are just a beautiful light in the world. And I think this is going to bless so many lives. So thank you again for being with us. Thank you for joining us today on Tearing Up My Heart Emotional Leadership Lessons Podcast. I hope you learned so much and are ready to tear up old notions and get started on your leadership journey. Make sure to follow us at Jay Heath Moreno, and I hope you'll join us next time.